This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. The best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Jeff Bezos is my daddy, and please feed the daddy. This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by the Satire and Humor Festival. There's a brand new festival in New York, March 22nd through the 24th at Caveat and Magnet Theater. It's called the Satire and Humor Festival, and it focuses on the kind of written humor and satire pieces you would see in places like McSweeney's, The New Yorker, The Belladonna, and Points in Case. It's run by uh, former OCW guests, uh, Caitlin Kunkel and James Fulta. Uh, the festival has six workshops, panels ranging from diversity in the field to how people want, went on to write for TV, and a panel on writing, selling, and marketing humor books. Uh, a feature writers from McSweeney's, Full Frontal, Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and more. Uh, I gotta say, this looks great. Uh, you know, March 22nd, 24th, that sounds like it could be spring break. If you're a college kid, why don't you travel to New York with uh, your nerdiest friends and go uh, and go to this? I, I don't think I did anything that great for spring break in a year. Oh, that's not true. I did actually have some pretty good spring breaks. But <laughs> but this, this does seem cool. Uh, Caitlin, James... Some of those knowledgeable we've had on the podcast about humor writing, so I can't imagine this festival. I, you know, it's gonna be great. So check out their website at www.satireandhumor.com for festival passes and one-off tickets to events. That's www.satireandhumor.com. On comedy writing. On comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. Uh, before we get into this episode, I just want to say, I just want to do a plug for me. I have an album of uh, parody of parody songs out. It's called uh, The Tyranny of Weird Al is Over by Normal Al Johnson. Uh, I think it's funny. I think it's a good bit. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what other people think. But um, if you like the podcast and kind of want to know more about what what my deal is, I guess, you can check it out. Uh, you can find the link. It's on SoundCloud. You can find the link to it on uh, Twitter. If you scroll through uh, some tweets of mine. Or it's the link in my bio on my Instagram page. So just check it out. I think it's funny. I think it's a good bit. And uh, I think if you like uh, Weird Al, I think you'll find the humor in this. If you don't like Weird Al, you'll also find the humor in this. I personally do like Weird Al. And if he does hear this, hey, don't get mad at me, Weird Al, okay? <laughs> it's, uh, it's I'm being nice. Um, back to the episode. Our guest this week is Karen Chi. She's done a lot of online humor writing. She wrote for the most recent Golden Globes, and now she's working at Late Night with Seth Meyers. Karen's great, very funny, very knowledgeable. There's lots of good info in here. I, I especially like the way she broke down monologue jokes, and I think I'm going to use that going forward if I when I have to write those. So here is Karen Chi. Uh, Karen, thanks for coming on the show. Ah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from a suburb of San Francisco. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Dallas. Oh, Texas. Yeah, Dallas, Texas. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I think my brother was born there. <laughs> yeah. You're not sure? <laughs> I actually, I always can't remember if it's Dallas or Austin. Okay. Uh, but one of those, one of those two big cities. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like growing up in uh, near San Francisco? Yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I very lucky to have a very, very happy childhood. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's such a lovely place, and I'm always very happy to go back home. Mm-hmm. And I'm really close with my family, so that part of the world feels just like my family to yeah. me. Um, yeah. 
San Francisco is kind of like a, I guess, a weird place politically now. I mean, I want to say politically. I mean, just like it's an interesting like, yes. case study, I guess. I think I know what you're getting at. Are you talking about <laughs> yeah. how it was originally like very left wing, very like open politically, and then now it's sort of this been taken over by these weird aggressive tech bros? Because that's well, yeah. my perspective. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much what I was getting at. But okay. also just like the class warfare seems so yeah, obvious totally. and bleak. Yeah, and the rent is insane. Um, I, yeah, I was yeah. I was in San Francisco maybe like a, six months ago. Okay. And uh, there's like in the middle of the city, just like a, there's just like a huge uh, group. That's fine. A huge group of like... Um, of homeless people yeah. and there's like nothing yeah. helping them or anything. I don't know. It was, it was very bleak going there. Yeah, no, it's um very heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I don't really yeah, have further to say I about think, that. <laughs> I had somebody else from San Francisco. I think I said the exact same thing and the, the exact same thing happened where there was no conversation about it because yeah, like, I mean, it's horrible. Really, like, yeah. We can sit and cry for a bit. Uh, who was the person from San Francisco? I can't remember now. Okay. I don't know. Robin Williams? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just making this worse. <laughs> uh, were, you, were you watching a lot of comedy growing up? Um, no, and then aggressively, yes. So basically, <laughs> I didn't really know that television comedy existed as a genre or a medium until I was in eighth grade, I guess. And so up until that point... I mean, I was and continued to be, like, a huge square, and I was very into school. <laughs> I was really into reading and learning. Um, uh, yeah, and so I think I didn't really know about comedy beyond the fact that, like, my mom is very funny and my friends were very funny. Um, and then in eighth grade, I watched, like, The Office and, like, The Daily Show and all this stuff, and my brain was just so saturated with these incredibly cool shows that I had never been exposed mm-hmm. to before. Um, and then after that, I very aggressively started watching a lot of shows based on you know like who wrote for them and um like which comedians i liked and i would often like research comedians and see what shows inspired them so then i got really far back um to like very old british satire and like <laughs> things uh-huh. like that which was very fun what was the british stuff you, you watched well i think i just worked my way backwards is um so i was watching american things and then they would somebody reference like mitchell and webb and so i watched mitchell and webb and they were influenced by fry and laurie so i watched fry and laurie who's uh, okay. influenced by monty python who's influenced by flanders and swan and so i just went all the way back to like, oh, wow. the 1940s and 50s and like listened to very very old uh like bbc radio comedy mm-hmm. sketches and stuff do yeah. they hold up at all a lot of them do i don't mm-hmm. um a lot of them obviously don't but that's like not a knock on them at all it's just mm-hmm. times have changed and references change and i wouldn't know you know like what british politician they're mocking or things right. like that um but I think, interestingly, a lot of uh, beats and sort of rhythms of sketches, I think, largely stayed the same for a while. You can sort of, I mean, I don't know enough about this to say, but I think you can sort of, like, uh, like I, uh, like seg- put put the 20th century into sort of different segments of s- styles of sketches. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, but that's based on my very limited knowledge of just obsessing over uh, British sketches on YouTube. <laughs> so would that be like... Uh, like vaudeville into like I don't know yeah I don't know yeah no I mean yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, th- I think a very uh, maybe a very stark contrast is I feel like if you watch a Monty Python sketch and then you watch like a Mitchell and Webb one um, you can sort of see what inspired what and how it got there but mm. they do feel um, very different and I think there's lots of more sort of slow burns that people are more patient and willing to do and a lot less sort of aggressively silly things um, not that one is better than the other, and I'm sure it also will sort of pendulum swing back right. and forth. Yeah. Uh, Fry and Laurie, I saw that like years ago. Yeah, probably I like when them. I was like in eighth, ninth grade. Yeah. 
Uh, they're so good. They're so good. And they're both so good at so many things. Yeah. It's astonishing. I remember reading books by Stephen Fry and then Hugh Laurie's like a very successful and good musician. And right, he yeah. also wrote a book and he was in house. It's just like incredibly inspiring how unlimited their view of the world feels, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is partly because they were privileged white men, but also right. just being like, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. I was like, great. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder about like, because, you know, Monty Python came out of like Cambridge, right? Yeah, Cambridge and, and so Oxford. I, yeah. yeah, the Cambridge and Oxford thing. I feel like they must have been doing like the worst comedy there. <laughs> like, the- Yeah, I mean, a very... Well, an interesting thing is, well, on one hand is that a lot of really famous British comedians... Were, went to Cambridge and were in this group called the Cambridge Footlights. That right. includes like Fry and Laurie and everybody. I'm sure. Sorry, I don't mean to say this if you already know it. No, but, no, no. Um, it's good. Though. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the thing that sort of shocked me is a couple years ago, my friend pointed out, my friend who is British, she pointed out like, they are wonderful until you realize they are sort of upper class men who graduated from this prestigious school and they're making fun of working class people and they're like men at their early 20s making fun of working class men. Yeah. And 40s, 50s, and I was just like gutted by that realization, <laughs> you know, because I hadn't thought about that and I also hadn't thought about what, like th- that's kind of a gross implication to realize and it's not, that's not always true in everything they do but a couple of their sketches do reflect that and that made me a little bit sad for a second. And then I watched Life of Brian and I felt okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point, though, because it is like, I mean, it's punching down uh, yeah. in a very uh, wealth. Well, I feel like punching down from a wealth perspective is like the worst one. That like hurts the most. For sure. Um, yeah, that that is sad. I think for the most part, they were very into punching up. Um, mm-hmm. Like Life of Brian, I feel like is just right. a perfect film. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I do like them. <laughs> uh, so... Did you start, like, doing comedy stuff, like, after that? Yeah. Um, so in eighth grade, I took, like, a drama class. I feel like it was very classic, like, uh-huh. kid takes drama, falls in love. Um, the thing I realized is that I'm terrible at acting <laughs> and also don't really enjoy plays. Um, but like, one... act- like, watching them? Yeah, watching them, <laughs> being in them. I think when I – I'm very good at – I really enjoy suspending disbelief for a lot of things, but something about – being in a theater watching a play, I'm actively aware, like, I am in a theater and those people are on stage. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can't, like, shut it off. You're um, mad at them. They're lying to you. Yeah, I'm just sort of like, I paid money to have people lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, and so in eighth grade, I did these classes and they had lots of fun, like, improv exercises before. And I was like, oh, this is the thing I like the most. And then starting in about ninth grade, I would hop on a train and go into San Francisco and take improv classes and see shows. And I got really obsessed with that. What's the San Francisco comedy scene like? Um, I mean, I have a very limited view of it because I was, I think under 18. And and so I'm sure there are lots of places that people love that I just wasn't allowed in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went primarily to this place called bats improv and they were fantastic and they did long form narrative shows as well as like short forms or gamey improv. Um, and everyone was very kind and very funny, and they were very welcoming of this sort of dorky high school student being like, hey, I want to know how this works. And yeah, it was really fun. They were very, very good. Yeah, what's it like being like the youngest person uh, doing improv and stuff around those people? Um, it felt it felt fun and good, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. They were very kind about it, and I don't think it ever made me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it was like me sort of TAing for a class or doing like lights for a show or just volunteering backstage and things like that. Um, yeah, I mm. loved that experience. Yeah. It also sort of made me feel like a grown-up yeah, <laughs> when yeah. I was like a little 15-year-old. <laughs> uh, when you went to college, did you know what you wanted to do? 
I think so. Um, and I think when I was going to college, I really tried to have an open mind, and I knew there were other things I really enjoyed. Like, I, I very nearly, like, majored in math. I love math. Um, and I was... I would say to people that I was considering, you know, going into like political speech writing or all these other things that were fascinating to me and still are, but never were passions of mine quite to the extent that doing comedy mm-hmm. was. Yeah. You could do the the reverse John Lovett, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, he's amazing. I'm nowhere <laughs> close to John Lovett. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had that show, right? Didn't he do a comedy show? Uh, yeah. I mean, he did the, he's like doing the HBO thing. Is that no, but I think it? like before that he had like a comedy show. Oh, actually. 1600 Pen. Did he? Wow, really? He, he created that. That's amazing. Okay, I will be very honest. I love Pod Save America, but I, after a while, had to stop listening to it because they all talk like the boys I dated in college. <laughs> and I was like, this is so much of a specific energy. And I really like them and I like what they're saying, but it was a lot. <laughs> uh, where'd you go to college? I went to Harvard. Uh, so what did you study at uh, college? I studied American history and literature. Do you think that has any sort of effect on uh, your writing? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, very, very much so. I went to college and then just decided I, because I knew I didn't want to go into academia and I didn't want to, um, I, w- I wasn't like obsessed with grades and I wasn't really into being a perfect student. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have been a little more. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, I started taking history and literature courses and was like, this is something I really love and I was really passionate about them. Um, and I think really influenced the way I read stories and looked at stories because basically the philosophy of this uh, concentration was that you can learn about a time period through the literature that was written during that time. And if you recognize like who is writing, who the writing is for, what kind of things it reflects. Like, so it was a lot of learning how to empathize with people from different time periods, uh, which is a really, really fun thing to be able to do in an academic context. And I think, it was helped especially by the fact that when I got to college, I realized I knew very little history about people of color in America. And so I took a lot of classes about like Asian American history and African American history. Um, and yeah, that I think really sort of shaped the way I look at the world and I'm sure inevitably how I write. Mm-hmm. Did you have to pick like a time period specifically or did you go through like a, a whole gamut? It was kind of a mix of this. So I specifically did American history, uh, which... They sort of pegged it starting, you know, like in the mid-1700s, just before the war. Um, And so I took a couple classes that were general overview things, and then I focused a lot on, like, the Civil War and the Great Depression. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, After college, did you... you, What did you do? Um, Immediately after college, I took this very short, like, acting program in New York, mainly because... I honestly, I was so sad and scared to graduate because I was so happy in college mm-hmm. um, that it was devastating and really nerve wracking for me to be like, shoot, I'm out in the real world to the point where I like applied to grad schools and really seriously considered going just because I wanted to keep being in a school of some sort. What what what, what, what program would you have done? Uh, I was looking to doing an English literature program, which is something that I think is cool, but not something I'm passionate about. I, yeah. Like it was very obvious to me that I was only applying to these just because I wanted that sort of structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, after graduating, did this thing that felt scariest to me, which was doing this acting program, because again, I'm terrible at acting. It would make me be very vulnerable and lots of people that I did not know, uh, in front of lots of people that I did not know. And um, yeah, so I did that for a bit. And then I went back home to California, um, worked and freelanced and saved up money. And then I did this uh, artist residency thing in Vermont for a month. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm 
kind of bored. I should get this career thing started. <laughs> so then I moved to New York. <laughs> yeah. What was the artist residency for? It was really cool. Um, it was called the Vermont Studio Center. It is in rural Vermont. And um, basically, I had a month that was just very kindly fully funded. And I just hung out there and wrote for a month and went on long walks. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. That's pretty cool. What kind of stuff were you writing? I was writing a lot of really bad things that I <laughs> should burn. Um, yeah, it was because it was fully funded. I think I had this. Um, I didn't really feel an obligation to make things that were good, <laughs> but in a way that was very helpful because then I tried a lot of new forms of writing mm-hmm. and was able to allow myself to be very bad at things, if that makes sense. Um, so I think I tried writing. Um, like a short screenplay I tried to write a pilot um, I wrote a couple like short essays I don't think I think I salvaged one or two things from that month and everything else felt like a good stepping stone in learning to get to a place where like now I have a pilot that I'm more proud of mm-hmm. um, but I think I got to this new pilot because I wrote that really terrible one when I was in yeah, yeah. first yeah that's great yeah do, do you think you have to do that a lot oftentimes is like write something like just write something bad to get out of the system oh absolutely or yeah. not even to get out of the system but just like learn how to get better mm-hmm. um yeah no I I also I feel like every few months I'll look back at something I wrote a year ago and be like oh no Karen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible <laughs> uh when did you start writing pieces uh for online um, my sophomore year of college. Oh, okay. Yeah. What 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 drew you to doing that? Um, it just looked really cool. I think I'm, I think I, yeah, I was just reading a lot of stuff online that I was like, oh, this is very funny. I like this a lot. Um, and I was like, why not? I might as well just try writing one. And then I sent it in and very kindly people accepted it. And so I started submitting things and then just tried a whole bunch of websites. Um, and I didn't really know what my personal comedy voice was for a very long time and I still think I don't really have a clear one yet um but I could tell that these websites all had distinct voices so I figured if I could try to write for a lot of different ones then naturally the ones that accepted my pieces and the ones that I enjoyed writing more for were closer to my real voice right uh so it was was very helpful in that sense it's hard to like find your voice I think specifically on like those humor pieces maybe it's because my voice is not like the humor pieces voice I think okay yeah yeah yeah. but I don't know it feels like you have to write to a certain like like McSweeney's like house style that doesn't feel I guess I'm talking for me person just doesn't feel right for me no that's okay yeah that makes a lot of sense and so I don't know (laughs) no yeah (laughs) that's how I think of humor pieces gotcha uh how did you how do you like generate ideas for those pieces um, I used to sit down and brainstorm premises and brainstorm jokes and stuff. And then I think I did that very consistently. I'm kind of, I, the, the habits I had of being an academic square, <laughs> I just sort of carried on over into comedy. And so I very much disciplined and scheduled myself of like, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to sit down and generate a certain right. amount of premises and write a certain amount of jokes. Um, and I did that very, very regularly for months and was very bad at it obviously in the beginning and eventually I think that muscle in my brain sort of got stronger and now I can sort of just exist and walk through the world and be like oh that thing is weird and funny to me I'm gonna try and play with it um but I think also if I ever take a break which I I do take breaks and I enjoy that but um when I do when I come back to working I have to sort of re like energize that right. muscle again yeah yeah i feel like the i hear about people who write like for like whenever they have like a certain like window of time like 30 minutes and they'll just like knock something out yeah and that seems so foreign to me as like oh in- yeah, yeah yeah oh you just so you so you think the opposite like you think you can do that wait sorry what are you i just asking? meant like 
people who are like, oh, I've got 30 minutes right now. I just did something. I got 30 minutes before I have to go do something else. Yeah. Oh, no. I live for that. Are you talking about wow. like last minute work? I don't know about last minute, but just yeah. like fitting fitting work in throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's inc- how do you, So how do you do that? That's like so crazy to me. Uh, I that seems like the, the best situation to be in. Ever. Really? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm... I think it's I'm embarrassingly type A and I think I'm very into truly like before I go to bed every night I'll write like a full to-do list of what I need to do the next day mm-hmm. and then when I wake up in the morning I'm just like I'm gonna knock out every single one of yeah. before I go to bed um so I like being over scheduled just so that I can get everything done if that makes sense if I ever have an open afternoon it usually I end up doing a lot less work right um yeah I don't know I don't really have an answer to that yeah. I yeah but I like the pressure of time I think mm-hmm. yeah What's your general approach to writing a piece once you have, like, the idea? Um, I usually will... Well, there are two ways. I guess one feels more mechanical in that I will try and write out the beats and sort of do an overall structure, and then I go back and flesh it out and try and put in as many jokes as possible. And the other option is if I have an idea that I think is very exciting, I'll just sort of write a draft. And usually that draft will be bad, but I'll have something down, and then I can edit and move things around. Mm. Yeah. What what are the like hallmarks of a of a good title for a piece? <laughs> I mean, I I honestly don't know if I have good titles. Um, <laughs> I will say I do think I have the longest titles of anyone on <laughs> sites in general. And I was I noticed it because I was scrolling through the shouts and rumors section of the New Yorker online, and I was like, dang! Every time you see a very long ass title, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my titles are very blunt, so I'm trying to think of one. It's just truly whatever it is, and it's usually like twelve words. And my editor will like cut it down to nine. <laughs> It'll still be very long, but um, my titles essentially are just whatever the premise is, and I try to be as straightforward as possible because I want the person to know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right away. Yeah, uh, and and you do some political pieces. Yeah, I uh, really like political satire. When, when you're doing something political, it's something like in the news. Yeah. Do you have to like? Are you like rushing to get it done? Yeah, um, that was something I did for a very long time. Um, yeah, there are a bunch of pieces that I would, I would read the news in the morning, get very upset, uh, write something within like an hour or so, and then send it in, and then ha- see if it will hopefully be up by the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but that's something I really, really like to do. Did, was it like cathartic almost to do it? Yeah, absolutely. It feels cathartic. Um, it feels productive in some way, mm-hmm. even though I'm sure the actual impact on whatever is happening is not nearly as big but i think for me it felt very good and i also feel like when i'm upset about something it is nice to see that someone else has the same perspective as i do and i feel a lot less alone and so when i read other people's satirical pieces um it does sort of feel energizing in a way of like great i can keep fighting for this thing and i know other people are also on my side mm-hmm. yeah how do you think uh, i mean comedy in general is handled like trump stuff um, I mean, I feel like everyone's doing the best they can. I do feel like we are all sick of him. I mean, obviously sick of him in a real life per- point, but also in comedy, it's just like, man, this guy is just relentless and awful. Yeah. And it would be so nice to joke about other things. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird because, uh, you know, he he's like uh, the last vestige of like monoculture. Maybe is like we're all experiencing. We all experience Trump, and like we don't all watch the same TV show or anything anymore. Yeah. So he's like the one thing we have. I guess so. I mean, I feel like that's true for politics in general. That's true. Yeah. Um, just because there's, it's it, it politics does always feel like an inside joke that everybody is on. Um, and I think that's probably why a lot of political satire works very well, as we all understand mm-hmm. what it's referencing. 
Yeah. Well, what, what do you like about political satire? Um, I really like that it's punching up. Um, I also, I'm, I really, I mean, I don't quote unquote enjoy it now because everything feels very awful, but right. I am very engaged with politics, I think, and I feel very up to date on things. And so to be able to respond to it very quickly is nice and fun. Um, to be able to find like certain angles is very fun. Pointing out like hypocrisies, I think is very fun. It feels kind of like a puzzle. Uh, yeah, and also it just makes me feel a little less sad. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who's like engaged in politics, were you is it is it weird now that everyone's like engaged in politics in a way that they probably weren't say like three years ago? Um, I not that weird. I it definitely there is a bigger difference. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it strikes me one way or the other. I do mm-hmm. think if this were happening now and people weren't engaged, I would be furious. Right. Uh, so I guess in that sense, I love it. <laughs> I just think it's funny that like everyone knows who like, you know, uh, Scaramucci. Everyone right. knows who Scaramucci Oh, I see is. what you're saying. Yeah, like it's Roy like, Moore. Yeah, yeah. Why Like why does like the guy at the bodega know who Anthony Scaramucci is? For sure. For sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. No, that's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with these humor pieces, uh, you know, you probably usually don't have much of a deadline. How do you motivate yourself to do it? I guess you, you mentioned you are like a person who gets stuff done. Yeah, I mean, there's that. And also just for a long time, I was subsisting mostly on freelance writing and up until like about a month ago that was like where I got most of my income so in addition to trying to be very disciplined it was a very real threat of like you have to make your rent each month um and so you have to sell a certain number of pieces and uh yeah so truly fear of that (laughs) (laughs) would you recommend the freelancing uh work style yeah I mean I guess it depends on each person for me I loved it and it took me a few months to get adjusted to it I think but after that it felt very awesome and liberating and I could make my own I could set my own hours you know and work from anywhere and write for the publications that I liked and things like that um I really like it I guess it depends on your personality yeah what what like how do you how do you pitch like a, a place to write for them you just email in most places open <laughs> submissions yeah. do you is there any sort of key to your email that you do I really don't. You know, people ask me this a lot, and I always am just like, no, I just say, hi, I'm Karen. May I write for you? <laughs> That's truly it. Yeah. Uh, what would be your advice to people uh, who want to get involved in, like, writing humor pieces online? I'd just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. Just, um, yeah, I just read stuff, and I liked it, so I just tried it. Yeah. It's, I feel like people, like... I guess because of like social media stuff now, people like see the title, yeah, and that's like the joke to them, and that's like enough, yeah. Do you ever wonder about that? As like when you write something like, oh man, people are only experiencing like maybe this one small part of it instead of the larger piece. Um, I guess so. It doesn't really bother me. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like people who do that just don't really read articles in general, probably. Uh, I also mm-hmm. don't really mind if no one reads my stuff, <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I know you did stuff at Reductress, right? I did, yeah. And then through that, you worked on their their pilot. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, those are two sort of unrelated things, but happened to be oh. under the same umbrella. Yeah, I did um, write for Reductress as a, like a freelance contributor for a while, and then I worked on their pilot. Yeah. How'd you get the the job on the pilot? Um, just like a very normal, just the way you go about getting jobs yeah. on TV. I guess I had interviewed with the head writer for a different show previously, and then afterwards. Um, yeah, she brought me in to interview for this job, and then, uh, yeah, I got to work on it. What are, like, uh, the interviews like when, you, when you're interviewing for a job? They're very nice, normally. Mm. I mean, yeah, you just sort of go in, and then they're usually, like, the showrunner or head writer or both, and a producer or so, and um, they just 
ideally they've like already read your work and they're bringing you in because they liked your work and so i think it's just a test to see if your personality would fit in the room and things like that Mm -hmm. what what was that experience like working on like a on a pilot it was very fun Mm -hmm. yeah um i was the writer's assistant on that show and so it was a really really good time um i just got to see what people were doing and then in the last week they let me write a segment and that was very cool mm-hmm. and yeah i loved it everyone was very kind being being a writer assistant really scares me because it seems like you have to, it's so much work like in terms of like typing and you gotta like listen to everything i and think have so it um because I, I yeah and right now now i'm like writing for a show and mm-hmm. the writer assistants at our show are so good at what they do mm-hmm. um that i truly am like man you guys are amazing and i know you deserve a break but also if you ever take a sick day i'd do think our show would like <laughs> shut down they're very incredible so i have all the respect for them yeah what what makes a good writer's assistant i mean i don't know i guess just um diligence i don't know mm-hmm. an interest in the work yeah. <laughs> uh what, so was the reductress thing your like first kind of tv writing gig yeah 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 was that like a, a crazy world to step into or did it feel right um, I really liked it. I had interned at a couple of shows before, so the actual setting of the show didn't feel that crazy to me, but I think um, being the writer's assistant was very helpful because I would not have known otherwise how the room operated, and mm-hmm. I got to sort of observe it from a safe spot as the assistant right. rather than someone who's expected to churn out jokes every day. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, it was easier to transition into a writing mm-hmm. role, yeah. And you also uh, do stand-up. What drew you to doing stand-up? Um, I started doing stand-up after I moved to New York, so I've been doing it for about a year now, and I um, really did it because I wanted to meet other people doing comedy in New York, and I really was doing it to test out the jokes that I was writing to see if they would actually land in front of an audience, because I think jokes and humor pieces are very different from jokes said out loud, and the rhythm feels different on paper than you do out loud, so oftentimes, if you read a piece out loud, it won't get as many jokes as if someone was just reading it to themselves. Um, Yeah, and so I started doing stand-up, and then I really enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would um so i've been keeping it up yeah mm-hmm. what, do, what do you uh i guess what do you like about doing say stand-up versus prose writing or prose writing versus stand-up um that's a great question i think a lot of things are worded very differently for instance something i like to do in prose writing is you can write a joke and then I sort of do a tag on that by putting something in like a parentheses or like an add on to it um, that I feel like you can have both and have both of those things land on the page because the reader gets to choose the speed with which they read. Um, And I think on stage that wouldn't work as well. It would feel like a joke on joke. Like you'd feel Mm. like you were accidentally going on too long instead of having a hard end. So in that sense, it's very, it just feels like a different muscle. And I really think it's fascinating to try and write something and then uh, try and like adapt that to the stage feels very, like a very fun thing for my brain. I really Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think of how much like grammar is like funny. In totally. Those yeah. In those pieces, that's like very true. And like when you're going to start a new paragraph and like if a paragraph is just going to be one line, like all these things of because you've no idea how quickly the reader is reading or if they're going to catch everything you're doing mm-hmm. um, and to try and try and guide them as best as possible. Right. Yeah. is fun. How has your uh, stand up changed over time? Um, I think I... I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable on stage, and so I'm sure it feels a lot less neurotic and nervous. Um, (laughs) I think in the beginning, I was going about it as though 
I were memorizing a monologue and delivering it to the audience. Mm. And right now it feels a lot more like a conversation where I sort of try and figure out how the audience is feeling and I'm sort of delivering it slightly differently based on how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, depending on the room, will feel comfortable riffing on things or depending on what kind of jokes they're into, like going one way or the other, I feel a lot more in control on stage and a lot more, a lot happier to be there rather than scared. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I feel like uh, I've only done stand up a couple times, but I, I definitely memorized it like a monologue. Yeah, no, it no. does. It's like less performative than it should be. Yeah, um, I I think um, now there are times when I'm trying to connect, and if it fails, I afterwards will be like, dang, it just felt like I delivered a monologue rather than actually getting to sort of share these jokes with these people. But a very interesting thing that happened to me recently is that I because I had come from improv, I was afraid of being alone on stage. Uh, and now, I think because I've said a lot of my jokes very many times, it feels like they're my friends. And so I'm like, oh, even if I'm on stage, like, I will try and do justice to this joke that I like so much. And hopefully the audience will like it. And I'm like, I'm here with these jokes that I'm very proud of and these jokes that I think are worth telling. Right. Yeah. I feel, I feel sometimes about, like, my tweets, which yeah! is funny. Do your tweets feel like your friends? They do, because I feel, so I feel like, or I get disappointed when they don't do well. Yeah. When like, oh, my know, God. It's yeah. devastating. It's devastating when a tweet you think is amazing doesn't do well, and the tweet you're like, whatever, does well. I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not my best child. <laughs> I had a, a viral tweet, like, a couple months ago, and it was about Lena Dunham and Jeff Dunham or something. It was so stupid. Uh-huh. And it got, like, 18,000 likes. Wow. And it was like, yeah. I hated it. It was yeah. horrible. It was terrible because it's like this is this is what a stupid website to reward so this. Yeah. <laughs> do you like do you like tweeting jokes on Twitter? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think that Twitter has played a very large role in my career, which mm-hmm. is a really crazy sentence to say. Um. But I started tweeting jokes specifically to get better at joke writing. That's like why I made a Twitter account. Uh. And I would tweet jokes. I try to do one every day, and now I tweet honestly too much. Um. <laughs> but. I met, like, my writing partner through Twitter, and she lives in L.A., so we would not have met otherwise. I met a lot of pe- my friends in New York from Twitter. Um, yeah, it's, I, for all the terrible things that website has done and continues to do, there are certain perks of being a comedian online, yeah. How do you, uh, like, get a following on Twitter? <laughs> you know, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I guess being consistent, I really yeah. have no idea. It seems, I don't know, it seems like a weird site because the stuff that does well is usually kind of like, I mean, they do, the, there's the new thing now where someone's like, hey, everyone on Twitter, tell me what your favorite movie you've seen right? lately. And then it's like, you know, 30,000 likes on that. I feel like I saw, do you follow Colin Crawford on Twitter? I do actually. I, I think. feel like he did a tweet recently that called that out. Maybe yeah. I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. He's a really he's great at Twitter, but I remember seeing something in cackling. <laughs> it's yeah, I just don't get I don't get that side at all. Yeah. And the people who I mean, I think uh the comedian like Dan Lakata, Lakata, Oh, he's say, so funny. Yeah. He's so funny on Twitter, and I feel like he, he even he like I, I love his stuff and it's only like a, like 60 likes or something. Yeah, do you follow Bob Volfov? Now we're just going to go through my friends. Bob Volfov was uh, on the podcast <laughs> no recently. Way! Yeah. Oh, I got to listen. Bob's a sweet sweet boy. Yeah. That's awesome. He, his Twitter I think is consistently hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he also, I mean, I, we talked about Twitter on the podcast and he oh, also no way. he had like no idea how to how he got like a following or Oh, how he's to do a big a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big Twitter guy. <laughs> Uh, and so you recently, you worked on the Golden Globes. I did. Yeah. How, how did that come about? Um, I, uh, well, I, I think I, I tweeted something, but I actually didn't get it from them. I think everyone assumes I did. Um, but basically I got in touch with someone who used to be an agent 
and uh yeah she sort of helped me make it happen it really i feel like the questions about how did you get a job i always feel silly answering just because i'm like oh it was a very boring <laughs> not exciting <laughs> way but yeah uh what was uh what was like that room like the room was amazing it truly it feels like an insane way to get to it feels like an insane first staffing job mm-hmm. um yeah, I went into that room having had no experience as a staff writer, right? Because the only other thing I'd done was the writer's assistant job at Reductress. And um, everyone there was not only better at this than I was, but also had been doing this for a lot longer and uh, had so much more uh, just comf- comfort, I guess, and confidence in their work in a way that was so, so inspiring and also just terrified me being like, man, maybe I'm really behind and I don't know how to do this. Um but it was really like the best way to jump into something and see the pace with which people write and the like the ease with which they just churn out jokes and are like even if this isn't the best joke i've ever written i'm just going to send it in in case someone else can punch it you know right. and so seeing that was really helpful and educational and it was it ended up being an incredible amount of fun like it was one of the best weeks of my life i think um but yeah it was great it was super fun when when you're coming into like that as your first gig, yeah. are you are, like how do you even like are you nervous? Do you like, wait around to pitch for a second? You, like like get a, feel the room? Oh, I mean, I was nervous as hell. Um, yeah, I went in. I think extra scared because I knew I was probably going to be the youngest person there and the person with like the lowest on the whatever rung. Um, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> also everyone there came from a show and I think knew each other, and so some of them were coworkers. So they would be in groups and everyone was very kind and inviting but obviously they're they were friends and knew each other so it felt like an extra sort of layer of um social oh man i would do so badly in that situation oh no but they were so so nice so it it, nobody was mean and it wasn't clicking or anything but yeah i i I think a lot of it was in my head probably (laughs) how do you how do you like approach writing for an award show um i mean i guess i still don't really know you just sort of do what they tell you to do (laughs) the the people hosting have a very well in this case had a very good idea of what tone they wanted to hit um and uh, the head writer was great and he sort of figured out how to i don't know just like the process so then you literally just do what they tell you to do you turn out jokes (laughs) and then you have read-throughs and things and it was very fun i I guess what, what what surprised you at working on the the golden globes uh, I guess how quickly an awards show comes together. Yeah, that is um, that is crazy. Yeah, it is wild. I think we were there. I think we wrote for about, maybe I'm wrong, but three days I feel like we had of working. And then we went into dress rehearsal. And then, yeah, I think that was the first time I saw someone come up with a bit. And two days later, they had costumes and things ready to go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it just, everything came together and happened and then was on TV. And it was really yeah. thrilling and crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Were you were you like watching from like the side the during the show? Yeah, we were all in the a room together. I think it was a hotel room that had been repurposed to be a writers' room. I'm not sure, but <laughs> all the writers were in a room together watching it on the screen, and it was so fun yeah. and exhilarating. And then we were all rooting so hard for Sandra, and then when she won, we just exploded with joy. And yeah, it was incredible. Very yeah. fun. Yeah, she just got hired on late night with Seth Meyers. I did. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, how how did that job come about? Um, it came about, let me think. So, uh, when I was kind of a mix of a few different things, which is that I was applying for, and I guess sort of still in the running for a couple other late night shows, uh, which I probably shouldn't mention, but, um, yeah. And so I was excited about those potential opportunities 
that seemed like maybe they were going to happen and then in the middle of that the golden globes happened and that's when i went to the globes and i met uh amber ruffin ali horde jenny hagel who were all from late night with seth meyers and they were also the people who were just so kind to me and sort of enveloped me into their world and they were very very wonderful about letting me join them and everything and became like legitimately my good friends um and so then I told them about when we got back to New York I told them about like these two other shows that I was uh, sort of going into the final process with um and they were like hold on and I got they I think they just sort of went in my mind I'm guessing what they did was they I yeah they talked to the EPs being like hey there's this person named Karen and she's about to be maybe taken by these other shows and I think a lot of people don't really switch around late night shows if you go to one you just sort of stay there um and so they were like you got to meet with her before she gets uh she gets signed on to a different one so then I met with them and uh late night was also the one that I in my dreams had I been lucky enough to maybe pick from all the shows would have wanted to write for Mm -hmm. anyway but they didn't have a packet and they haven't the room is so great that nobody has left that show in years essentially so there's no open spots um and I met with them and I loved like my shoemaker and Seth and like you know and, and so um yeah then they very kindly were like do you want to do this and I was like yes absolutely uh so then I joined in yeah what's your like, approach to packets in general um man packets are intense and annoying um I feel like I did so many packets I'm sure there are people who did way more than me so I feel bad <laughs> saying that but uh yeah I guess it's just for me, it was scheduling things out as soon as I got it and trying to start work on it right away so that I wouldn't end up at the last minute. Just because I feel like packets often take a lot longer than you expect that they would. Right. Um, and the first few I did, I definitely ran out of time and just felt like it wasn't good enough, even if I submitted it. Uh, and so, yeah, being aggressive and front-loading work is probably the best. Um, a really good piece of advice I got before was to watch a show sort of relentlessly and then also to literally type out the in the host's voice what they're saying so that you get a sense for how long each sentence is oh, and how long paragraphs are yeah that's probably one of the most helpful things i got in terms of advice um and so it becomes very clear so like an example was like i'm trying to think of two people or so like trevor noah does political satire john oliver also does political satire um obviously they cover kind of different topics but if on paper they probably seem pretty similar but then if you actually write out their sentences and where their jokes are they're very very different right. um and I think literally typing out things John Oliver was saying, for instance, would be very helpful if you were then trying to write in his voice. Yeah. Oliver specifically, it's interesting you chose him because I feel like that he's got a very specific style Yeah, that uh, is like, out of all the late night shows, I think that's the easiest one, I think, for me to understand, at least. Mm-hmm. If like the specific, I guess, so there's like a big debate about packets now, yeah. as I'm sure you've heard. And it's wait uh, wait wait. What's the debate? Sorry. Well, just that if like, because I guess all the late night shows require different things. Yes, totally. So each writer has to like, if you want to apply, you have to do like a very specific John Oliver one, a very specific something at the B. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people are saying maybe there should be there should be like one uniform one. Right. Yeah. And then maybe a second round would be different. Yeah. Uh, but Oliver's one where I'm like, oh, that show is like his style is like completely different. Right. I feel like. Totally. But wait, 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 what were your thoughts on the on the packet thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the worst, the only part of it that is very upsetting or annoying, I guess, as someone who did them is, uh, having to putting in just all of your time and energy on this packet and having it not go anywhere. Um, that is very frustrating. And it's also, you know, obviously not compensated in any way. And so you're doing this on top of other jobs that you're trying to handle. And, um, 
yeah so that's very frustrating i do i actually hadn't heard that debate or before but i love the idea it kind of feels like a common app for a college essay yeah where you know you should have some sort of basic thing that can be transferable across all the shows and then an additional thing that feels very smart um yeah that being said i feel like if i were hiring on the pers- like on the side of the show i would want to make sure someone can write in a specific voice so it is tricky it is someone suggested that a like a first round that's like a pretty common common Mm -hmm. app type thing and then the second round be paid and be specific that sounds cool yeah which i think yeah if there's like a wga like packet guide that would be awesome yeah yeah Yeah. because it is it does suck yeah no that's true you sink in like a lot of like a basically probably like a week of like hard work oh for sure at least yeah 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 and so yeah. there was one packet I did last year that they gave us a month, which I think in their minds they were being very kind about giving us a lot of time. But then, of course, I spent that entire month focusing on like oh, two man. pages that were double spaced, so it's like very little material yeah. to just be obsessed with for four weeks. But <laughs> yeah, what, what's it like uh, starting a new job? It's really exciting. Um, I also I think I'm very easily excitable in general. So that being said. Um, it is very exciting. There have been multiple days where I will wake up a lot earlier than I need to and then just get too <laughs> excited to go back to sleep. So then I just sort of hang out in my room until it's time to leave for work. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, everyone at Late Night is also very warm and kind. And so I feel like I was able to feel at home and feel comfortable right mm-hmm. away because yeah. everyone was very friendly and inviting. Um, and I thankfully also knew Amber, Allie, and Jenny from before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How long does it take you to like settle into like a new writer's room? Um, you know, I really don't know. Um, this one happened pretty quickly. I think partly because it was like a nine to six thing, so you see them a lot and yeah. you spend a lot of ch- a long a long chunk of time with these people. But it also probably depends on what the room is like. This room is truly very very warm and also had. When I talked with friends who write for different late night shows, they would all they were all like late night has a really great reputation of being a very good and kind writers room. And so when I got there, it was like absolutely true. So I'm sure it would differ depending on you know who's in the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess how do you how do you like, approach uh, writing a monologue joke? That's a great question. I think I'm so it's kind of two maybe two different aspects or two different approaches and i still feel relatively new to this but um from my very like rudimentary perspective uh the way our show works is that the writer's assistants named uh, kyle and sahar and they're phenomenal um will write up a lot of sort of setups that are essentially the first half of a punchline first half of a joke so it's the setup and we write the punchline um and you don't have to go along with those but they send them out in sort of three or f- maybe four or five different times during throughout the day. Um, and so you read those and then you try and fill in a punchline. And in my mind, it's either you go internal or external based on the setup. So an internal one is like, oh man, I'm not going to have an example. But it's like, <laughs> if the setup is, um, let's say like, uh, today was President's Day, then an internal one would be a joke about President's Day that like sort of shows another layer within that setup. And then an external one would be like, but tomorrow is whatever's day. You know what I mean? And so... Oh, I see. Yeah, one goes away, but draws a parallel almost. Oh, and one goes deeper inside. That's very interesting to think of it like that. I yeah. like that. I think oh. that, that, kind of makes, <laughs> that kind of makes things make more sense, yeah. Thank you, yeah. It's been a lot of uh, me trying to figure out how to get more creative with my punchlines and seeing what other people mm. are doing. And I think before I was very much always going internal based on what the setup was and then i would read other people's things that were hilarious being like oh okay they're going outwards they're like it's sort of like inductive versus deductive reasoning like you're taking a thing and then you're extrapolating a larger conclusion yeah that's that's fascinating 
I guess yeah. So I guess would you say that the uh what I forgot the what would you say how were the words? There was the in Sorry? Well, what was it was it in the, it was like the inside internal, internal and external. external. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. why I no forgot worries. internal and external. <laughs> That's but, okay. Uh would you say the external ones tend to be like funnier cuz they're more surprising maybe? Um I don't know. Uh I guess it I don't know if one is better than the other. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's always, in the final monologue, it's always probably best to have a mix of both so that the Mm -hmm. audience doesn't feel like it's repetitive in some way. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think because I, for some reason, was writing, was prone to write more internal type jokes, um, when I hear and read other people's sort of external ones, they're much more delightful and surprising Mm -hmm. just because my brain wasn't tuned in that particular fashion. Um, But yeah. How many jokes do you like write per day for the show? Um, altogether, like, probably like five full pages of jokes. Wow. Yeah. Is it, is that, is, do you like the grind of doing that? I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's insane that I just get to go into an office and write jokes all day. It's very fun. Yeah. When, when you're doing that, are you thinking like, oh, I need to get a certain couple of like these, this type of joke, maybe some like jokes with like the pictures or like. Uh, I'm not really focusing on that. I'm just trying to go through and write as many as possible that I think are very mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah, maybe I should. Maybe maybe uh. I should do that. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Coming from like uh, like the freelance world and stuff, yeah. do you like having the nine to six job? Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love structure, and so I like free time when it's like structured into my time. Like I will set clock set aside like three to five p.m. Chill out is <laughs> like something <laughs> I'll put into my schedule, uh, and then at five p.m. I will immediately stop chilling out. So uh, having that structure is really nice. Um, and being around other people who are also writing, I think, is very, very helpful. Yeah. Do you ever uh, do you ever watch the other late night shows just to know what they're doing and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily to know what they're doing, but um, I I really like late night television very sincerely. Like as a mm-hmm. fan, that's a genre of TV that I really enjoy. Um, so even before I started the job, I would watch clips of like Seth Meyers and like John Oliver and Sam B and Colbert um, and like, you know, Trevor Noah and stuff. And so I, yeah, definitely still keep up with that because I am fans of those, all those shows. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think like, you know, how, how do we stand out from like all the other shows? Yeah, I think it really depends on the host's voice and perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think I really like Seth's voice. Um, I think he's very smart about things in a way that isn't condescending and or ever snobby it's just very much like poking holes at things and having a fun silly time um he's very respectful i feel like and never punching down which is the best um so yeah i really really like his voice and i admire it so it's very cool to write for someone and feel like i'm trying to elevate the way i approach things based on the types of jokes that he would say uh and i think that differs from other shows who maybe you know don't want to talk about politics or talk about different kinds of politics and things like What's uh, surprised you about working in late night? Uh, I mean, at once everything and <laughs> I guess nothing. Um, it is it is surprising how much material people turn out and how little of it actually gets on the show, I guess. There are, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there are about seven people who write monologue stuff. And so we all write about five full pages of jokes a day. And then the actual monologue will end up being about 12 jokes (laughs) 12 to 14 jokes and so yeah it's truly like maybe 95 percent of the material gets thrown out um which is insane yeah um and i think that is probably most shocking to me because a lot of those jokes are also very very funny Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah do you ever do you ever worry about i know like uh 
Seth does like the monologue rehearsals where the tourists come in. For sure. Do you ever worry about a joke dying because like some tourist doesn't like? Yeah, I think that's true. I think thankfully the head writer uh, Alex Bays is also very aware of that. Yeah, and I think yeah. so. I'm sure. Uh, also, at the beginning, before the tourists get to hear the joke, Seth does a short spiel in which he asks the audience where they're from. And I think that's a good way to gauge how many of these people are going to be from a different country. And um, based on that, trying to figure out if they would be aware of American politics, yeah. uh, which is very different from, you know, the average viewer who is probably American. I, I did. I we, we I went on the tour recently, actually. Oh, amazing. And uh, he, I, I was wondering, like, why is he... I thought he was like, going to do like some sort of bit after he asked like somebody where they're from. Right. Yeah. 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 And he just kept going. I was like, "Why is this going?" And I realized, oh, he's just trying to understand if they understand the. Yeah, jokes, like what the makeup of the really audience is. Yeah. yeah. No. It. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what would you like to be doing next? I really like this. I don't. Yeah. Um. I mean, I want to keep doing this, and then hopefully, in addition, do other fun things. I would love to write a funny book. I would love to write a movie. Um. I genuinely love late night, so hopefully I'll get to stay here for a while. I, I, um, yeah, I think that my dream would be to have this job and then also get to write books on the side. I love like David Sedaris and, yeah. you know, Mindy Kaling and Sam Irby and stuff. So books like that would be very That's exciting great. to pen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're going to finish with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea. Okay. I great. Uh, oh, I woke, so I woke up this morning and immediately thought of this. Okay. And so I I don't know if this is actually a good a sketch idea or if I just like woke up and was like this is funny. I you think. know what? I'm excited to hear. So it's it's very simple. A real estate agent showing the White House to prospective buyers. Okay. So it's just like as if it's like listed to like be bought. Dude, I love that. So it's you know they'd be like some famous celebs have lived here like Zachary Taylor. Yeah. Uh, the Zillow price. I don't know. Something like that. No, I think that's hilarious. Okay. I think it'd be really funny if, if it was like done as a tour of the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I think it would be, yeah, it'd be like a real stage in like a couple probably. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. It could be like, it's currently inhabited by so-and-so, but they'll be leaving at a certain point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, this sounds like a very funny and promising stuff. All right. Awesome. <laughs> it would also be great if the security guard kept trying to throw you out and you were oh, just like, oh no, no, no. Like, hold on. <laughs> and they're just, yeah. No, yeah, that yeah. sounds great. I like that. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, I, I have a good life. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for coming to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. a boardwalk audio podcast for more information and shows visit boardwalkaudio.com don't forget to rate and subscribe now